Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Unlikely Hikers podcast and live show. It's our seventh episode. That feels really awesome. (laughs) Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we record live with an audience via Zoom, where I lead a conversation with someone in the outdoor world who I find fascinating. But today, we're revisiting a past theme with another storytelling episode. I love this. If you've been keeping up, we tried this on our fourth episode with Latreya Graham and Tyler the Prodigy Lau. So go check that out if you want to hear some other great outdoor stories. My storytellers today are Daniel the Black Alachian White, Serena Rana Dufault, Tam Willie and Travis Bearbait Clow. I'm recording this from Portland, Oregon, which is on Cowlitz, Chinook, and Clackamas land. If you're joining for the first time, please keep your cameras off. You can utilize the chat feature at the bottom of your screen at any time to send me questions or comments as you're watching. Now, if you've watched before, You know that we normally do a big Q&A at the end, but we are actually going to do a short one after each story. So think about things as you're listening and just fire them off. Um, Yeah, give me something to ask my guests. (laughs) Uh, Only I will see your comments. And uh, if you're on a mobile device, just touch the screen and it should pop up from the bottom. I'm your host, Jenny Brusso. I'm a queer, fat writer, hiker, group hike leader, and now a podcast host. I'm the founder of Unlikely Hikers, which is an Instagram community for the underrepresented outdoors person. That's the Cliff Notes version. A hiking, it's also a hiking group and now a podcast. (laughs) And normally right about here, I talk about something that is like in my head and on my heart and We've just got a lot of show to pack into this episode. So yeah, I'm going to talk about something that is not easy to be breezy about, um, but I just, it's what's pressing on me. Um, My mental health is garbage right now. And I know a lot of other people are dealing with really complicated and confusing feelings. And that is really, really normal. I'm also seeing a lot of people online talking about um, just feeling guilty for how bad they feel, you know, like feeling bad about feeling bad, which I totally know how it is. It's so hard to navigate those kinds of feelings, but also they do nothing. They just create shame. And I really, I just want to kind of address this really quickly because it your feelings matter. You know, even if you are, sometimes it's really easy to like feel bad about how bad you're feeling because you have, you know, a safe roof over your head or, or, you know, just all of the, all of your needs are mostly met, but like you still feel really bad. And you know what? We are living in horrible times right now. There are so many terrible things happening in the world and feeling bad is a really normal response, especially if you're somebody who has anxiety or depression, PTSD, all things that I have. And also if you are not able to utilize the outdoors to get some 
mental health, you know, and well, like physical wellness, you know, I utilize the outdoors for those things so much and, you know, not, and that isn't to eschew like, uh, professional help as well. You know, I've also spent a lot of my adult life getting therapy and taking meds and things like that. But the most consistent way that I care for my mental wellness is the outdoors because it feels so intuitive to me. And even though meds and uh, getting therapy have been things that have saved my life in the past, they aren't as intuitive as connecting with nature. Um, and, you know, right now with, I feel so torn. I mentioned this, I think in the last episode, I feel so torn about all of our, or some of our parks opening, you know, state by state, and some states have opened their parks and some states never close theirs. I feel really torn about, uh, you know, going against the principles of stay at home orders, but I also am, I'm really aware of the fact that maybe they are not as sustainable as we would like them to be. So I, I know that they're, you know, we are social creatures and not being around other humans for months at a time. I'm two months today uh, is I'm an introvert too. So it's like, and I'm cracking. So I'm thinking of a harm reduction plan for uh, hopefully hiking again. And I would like to talk a lot more about that. So if you have any ideas for your if you're creating a harm reduction plan, or if you just want to share how you're getting outside in responsible ways that adhere to um, safe, appropriate physical distancing, send me an email at me at jennybrusso.com. We are going to address this very topic two episodes from now. And hopefully I'm going to have somebody whose actual job it is to talk about how to get outside right now in safe ways. That's pretty exciting, right? All right. So I, it's time. It's freaking time. Okay. <laughs> we are going to go ahead and introduce our first guest. Again, I do want to say to send in your questions and your comments via the chat. Again, we'll be doing the Q&A between each story. Um, so don't sleep on those questions because it will be your only chance to ask people who you're super excited about what they how they do what they do and like things about their story. Okay, cool. All right, so our first guest is Serena Rana Dufault. She has logged thousands of miles hiking, backpacking, rafting, and canyoneering in the Southwest. Her consulting company, Trails Inspire, promotes the outdoors via photography, freelance writing, public speaking, and trail design. That's so cool. Her, book, her first book, Best Day Hikes on the Arizona National Scenic Trail, will be released in August 2020 by Wilderness Press. Serena is based in Tucson, Arizona, ancestral lands of the Tohono A'adam and Yaqui, but considers the Grand Canyon her second home. Welcome, Serena. So nice to be here. Will you tell us a story today? I'd be happy to. Awesome. First of all. Thank you so much for having me on. I just love the community that you've developed here. And I just want you to know that one of my last 
happy group outdoor memories before all of this happened was the hike that you did in Tucson. And it just really means a lot to me. Um, sometimes I'll like put my unlikely hiker shirt on and like go for a walk and remember how awesome it was. So thank you so much for this. Uh, oh, thank you. you for saying that. I, that is also one of my last like very happy social memories as well. So thank you so much. So it's a, a, when I got the invite to do this story, uh, it was interesting because I didn't quite realize what date it was at first. And I was going to tell a story about Grand Canyon and it was an epic story, but today is May 12th, which is a very important day for me because it is the day 11 years ago when I finished the Arizona trail for the first time. I hiked uh, 800 miles from Mexico to Utah in sections um, over a period of about 15 months. And I completed the trail today, uh, May 12th, 11 years ago. And so um, when I saw what day it was, I, I knew that that was, um, that was what I was going to talk about was how I got into the outdoors. Um, before we start, I did want to mention um, that I'd like to take a moment to remember Ahmad Arbery um, and mention his name and say his name um, before we get started. I know we're kind of limited on time. So, but this is um, the story of how I got into the outdoors. And I am the daughter, oldest daughter of um, immigrants. My mom is from Italy and my dad is from India and I was the first generation born here, um, here being Chicago suburbs uh, where I'm originally from. And so partially because of the, um, the culture that I grew up in, we never, my dad was very into the outdoors. He uh, always loved national parks and things like that. And he really, he's a photographer, he's very interested in the outdoors, but we never ever went on anything that would be called a hike. Like we never put a backpack on and went hiking. You know, we would go and do maybe some car touring in the national parks or parks nearby um, the Chicago suburbs. And, um, you know, it just wasn't really something that we did, but I did spend a lot of my time growing up. Um, there was some uh, vacant land nearby the housing development where I grew up. Um, and it was supposed to be built on, but then, uh, they ran out of money. And so there was just this big chunk of forest near my house. And that's where I spent a lot of my time. So we would do that, but I never ever considered it. You know, we never said, hey, let's go for a hike. It was just how we spent time outside. Um, I kind of got away from the outdoors. I, uh, when I was in high school, I decided I was going to go for fashion design. And so um, that kind of, you know, it became kind of fancy for a while. <laughs> And, uh, but through that experience, going to school for fashion design, I discovered archaeology and decided to change my, my major um, about two years into college. And when I did that, I was looking for a school and I knew that I didn't want to hike through this. I knew that I didn't want to go to class in the snow. And so I started looking um, at warm places. And that's how I ended up at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And um, I had never been here before. I uh, decided to come here because they had a really good anthropology program. And so in uh, 1994, I you know, packed up a car with my, my boyfriend at the time and we took a two week long road trip across this, the country to, to move me to Arizona. 
And on that road trip, we stopped at the Grand Canyon. And that was the first time I ever saw the Grand Canyon. And it was also my first hike ever into the Grand Canyon. Um, we did a small, small hike on the Arizona Trail on the South Kaibab Trail. And I remember thinking, wow, this is just amazing. There's nothing like this in the Midwest and wanting to see more. But I went to college and I did um, do a couple of hikes because that's what people do in Arizona. They go hiking. And so I uh, realized that, you know, Arizona does have a lot more diversity than um, in the outdoors than I had expected, just cactus and, you know, dry. But it was really beautiful and there was waterfalls and, you know, things like that. Um, so about uh, two weeks into my last semester of college in 1997, in January, I was walking across the street and I was hit by a small pickup truck. And uh, I was told by eyewitnesses that I flew about four feet up into the air and landed. Um, I didn't break anything initially. I had some bruised bones. I definitely hit my head when I came down. Um, I was taken to the emergency room and released. Um, what happened though afterwards was that my acute injuries, my bruises, my, um, you know, things like that, the, 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 the things that were injured, you know, like the bone bruises and things like that, those started to go away. But after a while, I started to not quite feel right. And it was really hard to explain. It was, um, it's like a very strange, feeling. I was very tired and I was in pain a lot and I couldn't quite understand why. I was seeing a lot of doctors because of the accident um, and it was just really confusing. Uh, like I said, the accident was in 1997. It wasn't until, um, so I graduated, I was supposed to be an archaeologist, but I couldn't work as an archaeologist because I was too sick. Um, I had extreme fatigue, extreme pain. Um, no one could quite figure out. But in November 1998, um, almost two years after, almost a whole two years afterwards, the accident, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And this is 1998. So this is um, very early on uh, in, you know, as, as far as a diagnosis, it wasn't very well known. It was also not even considered, it was considered that possibly it wasn't a real thing at all. And I got a lot of pushback from the medical community that, you know, uh, oh, fibromyalgia isn't a real thing. It actually affected the uh, settlement that I ended up getting. I get, ended up getting a very, very small settlement from the accident um, because they argued that fibromyalgia wasn't, actually, it wasn't an actual thing. So um, I was going from doctor to doctor and seeing all different kinds of specialists, trying to figure out something for myself. And as this was happening, I was just losing um, quality of life. Just, uh, it was really going downhill. And so I ended up losing my job. I had taken an office job at the time. I ended up losing my job and I was just absolutely depressed. Just did not know, I was 23 years old, 24 by this time. Um, and I just didn't know what the future held for me. And not only that, there was no good information about fibromyalgia. And not only was there not a whole lot of information at all, but the information that you found was really just miserable. And um, it was not, it was, it was really depressing. So I spent about, I think it was like a couple months bedridden and at my lowest, right around, uh, I think it was like 1999, end of 98, 99. And um, 
then at, at one point I had this giant German shepherd, big, huge German shepherd named Zeus. And at one point I decided I was going to start taking Zeus for walks because he was always up for it. And so I took Zeus for just little tiny walks around the block and little tiny walks around the block became maybe going around, you know, a half mile or a really easy trail or, um, you know, sometimes I would take my boyfriend at the time I met my, uh, my spouse now is he's, uh, we've been together for ever since a couple months after the accident. So he's been, he's been there for the entire, um, roller coaster. <laughs> and, uh, so Zeus and I, we explored around Tucson. We, you know, tried different trails. I was not into hiking with anybody else because I thought I was the worst hiker in the world. I was convinced that I was the slowest, just like if anybody was going to go with me, they were going to spend all this time like waiting around for me. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to do this by myself, me and Zeus. So I realized that as I was outdoors, yeah, I would be sore when I came back, but it really gave me just such peace and, you know, it got my mind off of all of the pain. And I realized that it started to make me feel better to be outside. And so I decided to, you know, prioritize that and just try and be outdoors as much as possible. And the, you know, over a very long period of time, I got stronger but it was incremental. I mean, just very, very, very small, um, small gains over a very long period of time. But it was an amazing thing um, because as I gained more uh, experience, then I gained more confidence in myself. So um, my uh, spouse's friend in 2001 got backpacking uh, permits to go into the Grand Canyon. And I'd never backpacked before, but I thought this sounds amazing. I'd been extremely excited about it before when I saw it. And so we went on our very first backpacking trip and it almost killed me. I, it was so painful. We had these gigantic, I wish I could show you a picture. The packs are like towering over our heads. It's every, we made every run, you know, plan in the book and carried way too much stuff. And when we came to the top of the Grand Canyon, my spouse Brian was just like I am not doing that again that was way too much and I was like that destroyed me but I love it <laughs> and so I didn't hike uh, I didn't backpack again though for another four or five years because I didn't have any of my own backpacking equipment and so uh, in 2005 I actually went on my second backpacking trip it was a solo trip and um, then in, I didn't uh, backpack for two more years. Um, in 2007, I went on a hike and um, I hiked all day and I came back and down to the trailhead and I saw this sign and it said Arizona Trail. And it had this map and the map had all these amazing places on it like the Grand Canyon and the Superstition Mountains and San Francisco Peaks up in Flagstaff and things like that. And so I went home and I said, you know, I wanna hike part of this trail. I couldn't find hardly any information about it. It wasn't even completed. Um, it didn't com get completed until 2011. But I became obsessed with this trail. I, I just couldn't get enough of reading about it. And I decided that I was going to hike the first 200 miles from Mexico to um, where I had, I had gotten the idea. And then a friend of mine was like, well, why don't you just try and hike the whole thing? Worst, ha worst that happens is you don't do it. 
And I was like, well, I don't know, could I do that? I mean, mind you, I'm still coming off of like being really sick and, you know, uh, gaining my confidence and things like that. And so I, um, I decided to do it. I decided I was going to through hike the Arizona trail in 2008. And then the economy crashed, just crashed. And so my husband is a realtor and he, um, things just, you know, that was completely off the, off the table. And I was, so I was trying to figure out, um, what I could do. And I decided to change it to a section hike. And I also decided that I was going to do the hike to raise awareness for fibromyalgia. Because at the time there was just, like I said, there wasn't very much information out there. And then all the information was very, very sad. And um, there wasn't anything inspiring. And so um, I wanted to be a, um, a positive figure with my hike. So I started in 2008 in February and um, the Arizona Trail, like I said, it's 800 miles, and it was about 60 or so miles from being complete at the time, and it really was not very well traveled. Um, I was hiking during the week, because uh, I was working on the weekends at the time, and I never saw anybody. And like I said, I was still kind of nervous to hike with people, and so I did almost the entire trail myself. Uh, I did almost the entire trail solo, and by this time, my dog was even too old, so I didn't even have my dog with me. Um, but that experience, not only did I learn so much about, you know, gear and backpacking, and I bothered these very kind folks at my local outdoor retailer summit hut over and over again. And, you know, they got helped me get all of my, um, my things together and they were my very first sponsor. And, um, over these months, I just, you know, I gained all of this knowledge and confidence and you know, being able to find the trail when the trail, you know, you lost the trail because, you know, the trail's not well defined or it's overgrown. Um, I also, at the time, was volunteering with the Arizona Trail Association to help build the trail. And that's one of the things that helped me, I think, to be able to find the trail. Um, it also uh, is how I got into um, what I do now with trail design and development. And so, over these 15 months, I would go out and do maybe two, three, three days at a time and then come back. Um, I met so many wonderful people that helped me out with shuttles. And my dad actually was my support crew for a little bit of it. Um, we did a couple of uh, extended trips where he'd come out from Chicago for about two weeks and drive me around. And it was just an incredible learning experience. Not only for myself, um, it was, I, I learned that Arizona is an amazing place and just full of, more diverse scenery than you could possibly imagine. I got to hike rim to rim through the Grand Canyon. It was, it was incredible. Um, and I uh, have a um, journal entry from the day that I finished the trail. So I mentioned that I did the trail for fibromyalgia awareness. And um, I, it just ended up that while I was section hiking, it lined up that I could do my very last section on fibromyalgia awareness day, May 12th. And I was like, that's amazing. So that's, that's my completion day. So um, about eight people, eight, nine people joined me on my last eight miles. And we hiked into the place where I had gotten the idea in 2007. I connected my line all the way across the state. Um, I did something that I thought was impossible. Um, so here's my quote. 
It felt amazing to have finished this epic journey. I am so lucky to be able, have been able to have this experience. I've seen breathtaking deep canyons, high peaks, amazing sunsets, and more wildflowers than I'd ever imagined. I learned a lot about myself, including the fact that I'm way stronger than I thought and capable of things I'd never imagined possible. I definitely got the grand adventure that I was hoping for. I went on to um, hike the Arizona Trail a second time. I through hiked it in 2014. I worked for the Arizona Trail Association um, as their gateway community liaison. Um, and I always say that the person that started that trail and the person that ended the trail are two different people. And um, without the Arizona Trail hike, I probably would not have been a hiking guide, a river guide, a trail steward and the gateway community liaison for the Arizona Trail Association. I, or would I have been the owner of my own business? And I now, now make a living promoting the outdoors and inspiring others to do the same. Oh my gosh, I, <laughs> that was, that's an amazing story. And I also just want to give you so many props uh, for just, uh, you know, just talking about like the, the lack of information about fibromyalgia. And like, uh, I know that a lot of people who deal with chronic pain and, and uh, invisible illnesses and whatnot, it's really hard to, um, for, for people who are able-bodied, who don't deal with those kinds of things to understand. And it's just it's so beautiful the way that you articulated all of that. Thank you. We're gonna go ahead and jump into our Q&A. We've got some really lovely questions. And uh, this one is, uh, it says, can you speak, some, speak on your emotional, mental transformation? You know, you, you mentioned that you, the person who started was different than the person who finished the trail, which, oh, I loved that part. Uh, but can you speak on the, the transformation that came from overcoming the physical pain reality to, you know, hike or through hike? Yeah, um, I didn't mention that um, while I was hiking the Arizona Trail, my uh, fibromyalgia was in remission. Thankfully, uh, I had a period of a decade where I did not have a flare. Um, that ended in 2016, and I'm unfortunately in one right now because of all of the, one of the big triggers for me is stress, and with all of the things that are going on, like, it's just, I was just waiting for it, basically, you know, I mean, it, it, stress is like, it's pretty much the number one um, thing that affects my fibromyalgia. So, um, as far as the mental change, I think, you know, going into it, I just, I didn't have a lot of um, confidence in myself. Like I said, I was so embarrassed to hike with anybody. You know, everybody was stronger than me and I was gonna bore people. I had, I had been on a couple of group hikes and been left behind, which is why I loved your hikes so much, Jenny. <laughs> but um, I think that I just felt so, so like I said, just, um, just small and weak. And I think that, experience one of my um, mantras that I still use is I am strong healthy nimble and quick so I would say that to myself you know I'd be like it's a, it's a trail like if you haven't been to Arizona it is full of mountains I mean just right. mountain after mountain after mountain it is the Arizona trail is a really tough trail and so to then have those like each um each hike, each section was like a little victory that um, 
built upon the next one. And then I just, the more I did it, I just became more comfortable. And now I like to say I'm as comfortable in my living room as I am at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Um, but it's definitely something that built through time. And, you know, really, this is, this is great for me today because I'm kind of, I've been feeling that like kind of small and weak and just because I've had, I'm in a flare and stuff. And so it's good for me to remember, like, it, this is an ongoing process. Like, I'm that same person and I got through that. So I'm hoping to even use that now to pull through what's happening now. Thank you for saying that because you're so right. And something that really carries me through uh, my mental unwell periods, which also for me does um, also mean that my, I have physical pain when I am depressed and triggered and dealing with all of those like PTSD type things. Uh, and I'm going through that right now. Like my body feels horrible and, you know, it, but it's true. Something that helps me a lot is that I always remember that I'm going to get to the other side of this, that, that these feelings as terrible as they can be, uh, they will, they will change because, everything changes. Thank you so much, Serena, for being with us today. I really loved that story. Thank you. Thanks for giving me a chance to tell it on Fibromyalgia Awareness Day. Thank you. Our next guests are telling a story together. Travis Bearbait Clow and Tam Willie are going to share one of their adventure experiences with us. Uh, Travis Bearbait Clow resides in Portland, Maine. He has been director of trip operations and an instructor with the Venture Out Project since 2015. His favorite outdoor activities are backpacking, scramble hikes, split boarding, swimming in mountain lakes, summiting high peaks, and bikepacking. Their other interests are quilting, playing guitar, and banjo. Contra dancing slash square dancing, potlucks, and connecting to queer community. Pam Willie is a certified forest therapy guide, trainer, and mentor with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programs. Tam is the founder of Toadstool Walks, a small guiding practice based in Boston, Massachusetts, designing community walks, immersions, and retreats that invite us to come together in ways that support a culture of reciprocity, cultural repair, health, and healing for all beings. Welcome, you two. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. I'm so glad you're both here. Will you please tell us a story? Absolutely. Tam and I have been backpacking together for years. Um, at the time of the story that we're going to tell, which is one of those stories of just a comedy of eras, just thing, everything kind of goes wrong and we have an amazing time anyways. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, we've been backpacking together for years. We were both living in Jamaica Plain at the time uh, in, in Massachusetts. And we had decided to do a 25 mile section of the Appalachian Trail up and over Mount Greylock. And um, we had a, a friend um, that had a house uh, that we could park our car at in North Adams. And that's kind of like where our, our story starts is, is, is the beginning of the shuttle. Um, so I'll let Tam kind of jump in with this one. Um, thank you. So 
I also just want to like thank you, Jenny, for having us, and thanks, um, Serena and Danielle. Um, thanks for that story, and I can't wait to hear Daniel. And uh, yeah, so Travis and I have had many misadventures. I feel like all of our travels have, are a series of misadventures that are just really comical. Um, so yeah, we were staying with somebody that we didn't know that well, but someone who lived like, I don't know, within a mile or two or three from the Appalachian Trail who was willing to offer us a ride. Um, and so our sort of first mishap was like our bad communication with like expectations for what time we wanted to get to the trailhead to start our 15 mile day. And it was, I think, not a well-lit time of year. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very late start. I think we got dropped off at like 10 o'clock and we were like very stressed and like agitated at that time and being trying to be polite, but we just like didn't know how to communicate our needs at the time. And that's just like how we started. In like a 15 mile day, like for us, we're like, you know, we want to get going like at like probably like seven because, you know, we also want to get to camp and stuff like that. And 15 miles is a big day for us. Um, so yeah, so we got to the trailhead at like, what was it? 10, 11. It was 10, late. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, at many trailheads, you encounter different types of people. So we're like packing up, like getting our stuff ready. And right away, some guys tried talking to us and immediately we're just like, you know, what's that word? I, I can't even think of the right word, but we were like, like a lot of posturing. Like, you know, like all this gear and like shiny stuff. And we were probably in cotton, you know, (laughs) this like vibe, this like vibe that I don't even know how to explain it, but we just immediately felt like self-protective and like on guard in this like, like whatever kind of way. We probably get triggered a lot too, just from like the side of that. So yeah, so right away we're, you know, start hiking and they're like, you know, are you hiking the AT? And we're like, well, we're not going to Maine or anything. Um, and so they were like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. And, you know, do you know you're going the wrong way? And we're like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. And so. Uh, yeah, they said something like, you guys northbounders? And Travis, like, kind of snapped back, like, we're not going to Katahdin or anything. <laughs> and they were like, well, that's south. And we're like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so now we've gotten our late start. We're, you know, already kind of like a little prickly from this first encounter and we start hiking. And so we're hiking and now we're like getting, getting into the groove a little bit and probably a little bit too much into the groove because at we're some point- We're probably a little bit too. We're probably like, <laughs> so late and those guys and this and that. And we're just lost. Like in our we're own- lost, yes. Well, and then we actually get lost because we come to a fort and there's no white blazes anywhere. Um, and um, if you've ever spent any time on the Appalachian Trail, you know that the entire trail is, um, has like paint, like they're called white blazes and they're like just paint on the trees. And we can't see these blazes anywhere. And we're like, okay, well, obviously we're lost. And like, how does this happen? Like, it is so hard to lose the Appalachian Trail because it's a trail that's really well marked. Um, and we have no so, idea yeah. how long it's been since we've seen a blaze. I think we came to a fork in the trail, and there's just no information anywhere. 
And what do we do? The thing you're not supposed to do. We like split up and go look for it. <laughs> but we found it. We did. So <laughs> we did. We found it. We, and we came back together. I think I remember some like, it's over here kind of thing. And so we came back together and we kind of like collect ourselves. And now it's been, you know, it's already probably past lunch. We've already had this like weird encounter at the parking lot. Now we've been lost. We've got a 15 mile day. And we're like, well, you know what? What if we just jump ahead a little bit? What if we just hitchhike, go back out to the road, hitchhike, go further up the trail, and then we'll just, you know, have a shorter day. And that's what we did. And it was great. A really good choice for us. I was nervous. You know, I haven't hitchhiked a lot, only when I'm hiking. And it's very, like, I'm very nervous about it just because um, I grew up in the 80s and it was normal and then all of a sudden it wasn't and it's just not something you do. And, um, but yeah, as a kid, my parents picked up hitchhikers all the time. They sat in the back seat with me, but then at a certain point it was just like, that's not a thing you do anymore. At least, you know, in the Northeast here, it's just uncommon, but it's, it's common among hiking culture. And, but I was still really nervous. Travis, was out there with their thumb up and I was kind of hanging back and someone pulled up and I, and I was convinced that they were a cop and Travis is sort of going towards the car and I'm like thinking this is illegal or something. And I basically like dive into the bushes. I'm like, Travis, don't go near that car. And then Travis is basically like, this is a firefighter and he's really nice and it's going to give us a ride. <laughs> Yeah, so we got a ride. So we chopped off like 10 miles of our original 15-mile day, which we thought was hilarious and amazing. And we even like got to go to a little quickie mart and like get some snacks and I probably got a Diet Coke. And uh, it was, you know, so now like our hilarious start to the day was kind of like renewed because now we just had like four or five miles to get to the first lean-to that we were planning on staying at. Um, so we continued up the trail and we found that lean-to. Um, <laughs> and we were in a great mood at so this did point much more relaxed. We're yeah, like, this is great. I love hiking. And uh, so do Boy Scouts. And, um, and in came like, you know, a Boy Scout troop. And, you know, and it's one of those things where like, you've got the place to yourself. You're just like, yes, this is great. And, you know, obviously, if other people had joined, but a Boy Scout troop, we were not going to hang. So and I'm imagining that our boots off at that point. Like, I'm just imagining we're like, oh, we like, you know, explored our packs and like, you know, are all relaxed. And then like in comes like, I don't know, 20, 10 year old boys. And we're just like, no. Yep. We were out. But so we, you know, and we've got a map with us, obviously. So we're like, okay, well, there's another lean to. So why don't we go check that out? So we continue up the AT. And, um, and then, Tim, what did we find there? Well, we almost were at the top of the mountain when we were like, okay, there's this other lean-to on this side trail. It's only like 0.7. We can do this. We've only hiked four miles or whatever. But it felt like a very full day. We were exhausted. And it was 0.7 miles down the mountain. Which, you know, if you've ever hiked up a mountain to spend the night and then have to hike down it, knowing you're going back up it, it's just kind of hard on morale. 
well. But we did that and we saw, you know, you see the roof, the lean-to off in the distance and you're so excited. And we get there and the place is trashed. It's disgusting. It's occupied. Someone's living there. That's cool. What a great place to set up shop. It's just that we're in bear country and there is so much candy and sugar and sweets and food everywhere. And, you know, I do have a, you know, my, my trail name is Bear Bait, which is a, a story for another time, but I, I seem to have a, a way of attracting um, bears and having, you know, junk food and fluff and my hair and my hands. And anyway, so we were like, we cannot stay here. This is like basically an open trap for bears to come say hi to us. So there was a little the little packs of honey. Like what was there? There was a <laughs> packet of honey, which was just hilarious. And like peeps. There was a huge stash peeps. of peeps. Yep. Um, it was enough to know that we, we wanted to move on. And so yeah. So again, so back up the 7.7, and now we're almost at the summit. And so we get to the summit. And if you've ever been to the summit at Mount Greylock, it's, it is a really beautiful summit. It's the tallest mountain in Massachusetts. And it kind of like overlooks um, these beautiful mountains. Um, and it's kind of like really clear. It's like, I think, intentionally cleared. And there's like a monument and stuff up there. And also a lodge. The lodge was closed. Um, but there's also lots road. of signs saying, do not camp here. Yeah, there's a road and a parking lot. And because this is the AT, they're like, you know, please do not camp here, you know? Um, so we, we didn't know where we were gonna stay. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really windy at this point. And so we bust out our stove and we're cooking dinner. Um, and so one of the other fun details about this is that because we were intending to stay in lean-tos, we didn't bring a tent. And so now we were really kind of like, what's next? What are we going to do? And, you know, we've got this map, we're having dinner. We've already tried the other lean-tos, which was what we were intending to stay. And that's a lesson to be learned. Always bring your tent. And I'm, I'm imagining at the beginning of this hike, like we had a tent or two, probably one. We used to always share a one-person tent. I don't know why. I don't recommend that. Um, but we always, I'm sure we had a tent in, in our hands. We're like, do we need this? I mean, we're totally staying a lean yeah. to there's everywhere. Like, we don't need this. <laughs> Never again will I not yeah, bring Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so we did. Uh, you know, actually, Tam and I have been on the summit of Greylock several times before, so we did know that there was one other option up there, and it's a ski warming hut. It's it's kind of like an old school thing. It's like this old um, warming hut for this, you know, there used to be a ski trail on Mount Greylock. There is never enough snow anymore, so it's not an active ski trail. It's like a backcountry ski trail. And um, anyway, so we ended up spending the night in this... Um, in this ski lodge that all over it says do not camp here and i mean unless extreme emergencies and this was feeling enough of an extreme emergency that we stayed there like maybe a slight emergency like could we have hiked down you know sure but we're like i don't know we're up here and this feels emergency enough but it was kind of 
we were nervous, like the doors just unlocked and there's a road up here and like, where even are we? And what if someone comes and are we going to get in trouble? And like, there's this lodge on the summit, Bascom Lodge, that used to be really, I think it used to be maybe run by the AMC, Appalachian Mountain Club, or I don't know, but it's not, it's now private and it's a little fancy and it's, um, you know, it's not as like hikery friendly, I think, as it was decades ago, where it used to just be like, everybody come on in. And it was kind of a rumpus room. And now it's like they serve five course meals in the dining room on the weekends. And like, they were just sort of getting set up for the season. And we just were like, they can't see us. And we were just sort of running around before we found the, the, the ski lodge, like, ducking between the trees like trying to make sure no one knew we were on the summit so there's definitely an edge that night even once we were in the warming hut there was like are you know can we really relax here um and and once we did relax into our sleeping bags on the benches we were each kind of at a bench um as soon as like we turned our headlamps off all night long it was just like mice just tearing through the place just and uh, yeah, that, that's a bit of an edge for both of us, especially for Travis. <laughs> yeah, I'm a screamer. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so we ended up just spending one night and it was, we survived, it was fun. We hiked out the next day and, you know, it's, it, it was a fun journey and um, we learned some lessons and had a good time. And yeah, anything else you want to add to that story, Tam? I would say we got, we were so tired at the bottom of like our little descent down the other side that we actually hitchhiked back to our friend's house. And then I don't, I think we just kind of drove home. So that was it. Probably some good food. Yeah. So that's our story. <laughs> oh my gosh. I laughed so much. I'm really glad that I muted myself. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Okay. I, Definitely have questions. So we got a couple in. Okay, first of all, oh, Daniel said that he almost camped at that place that you just mentioned also. Someone is asking, and I, I, I don't know if your story already kind of answered this, but like, do you have any tips for maintaining good morale through those badly planned or unplanned sort of interactions, adventures, whatever experiences. With, with other people or with us? I mean, just like when you're on a trip and those foibles happen, like how do you keep your, because you both like, in fact, we have a few comments from people saying like that they really like your attitudes about this. So how do you keep your, how do you keep your head right in those kinds of situations? I mean, well, I, I, I think, no, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I think, I know that when I start to dip down real deep and start crying is like when Tam will like, you know, carry the torch and we kind of like help each balance each other out. And also, I, I think always trying to find a humor in it too. Um, and, and as long as I like feel safe and like know that I'm going to be able to get out like, okay, like how, like this is very uncomfortable but I'm going to be okay. And I'm, I'm going to be able to get that diet coat tomorrow and my like Snickers bar and like whatever it is I want tomorrow, you know, it's like, that kind of helps me. And so we'll talk about food a lot, actually, that, 
that boosts my morale and just making each other laugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think also just hiking with somebody that make that, that you have a good time with, you know, and that um, you can say what you need and yeah, cry and whatever. Uh, <laughs> in 2016, Travis and I through hiked the long trail which took a, a, about a month and there were some hard long days and like where we took turns just sinking being like, Ugh. and like there was a few days that Travis just told me blow by blow Lord of the Rings. And then I t would tell Travis blow by blow Rocky, like one through, I don't know, are we at seven at this point with Creed one and two? Um, but like I'm telling stories that. Days. What's that? I was just gonna say, like, just to like, un like to know the length of those stories. Like, I mean, in terms of like long distance, like the storytelling of the different movies that we love took days, which was great. It was like something mm -hmm. really fun. That's and awesome. Being flexible, like, like just not being so attached to plans, mileage, just it all loosely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the laughs so much. And also it is a really great reminder to not get too hung up on the silly stuff that happens. I have some of those kinds of stories myself and sometimes in the moment it can feel so defeating, but then later on it's just like fucking hilarious. So, and it's also just, it makes you tougher anyway, you know, like next time you go on a trip like that and have a little foible it's like oh well you know we'll get through it get to the other side <laughs> well thank you both so much for being here thank you we are going to introduce our very last storyteller daniel the black alachian white hails from north carolina in 2017 he hiked the appalachian trail from georgia to maine carrying little more than a fishing pole and a frying pan. <laughs> in 2018, he biked 2,000 miles from Mobile, Alabama to Ontario, Canada along the Underground Railroad Trail to reflect on the history of racism in the U.S., shed light on the lack of people of color represented in the outdoor scene, and the importance of making the country's public lands, monuments, and natural wonders more accessible and comfortable for all. Welcome, Daniel. What's happening? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. Also, I, I liked your comments during their story because I know you have hiked those miles as well and, and it, it, you know exactly what they were talking about. Man, them, them, yeah, they, they got this little lodge right there. When you get up to Greylock, you pass this lake and it's this little lodge right there. And they say don't camp right there, but it's like, it looks perfect for like trying to you know, stealth camping. So I'm like, yeah, okay. But it was early enough in the day I had to push on. So yeah, I, I feel them though. Awesome. All right. Uh, will you share a story with us today? Yeah, I got you. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Daniel White. I'm the Black Election. Um, most know me uh, by, um, I guess my last good memory was probably you, you know what I'm saying, um, having me out in Portland um at the at the um photo shoot and stuff so i really do appreciate you for bringing me out for that um that was really amazing so that was the last about one of the last times i was outside um 
You know what I mean? So uh, other than that, and also speaking on just the mental health aspect of it, because like me getting out on the Appalachian Trail was what helped a lot with my mental health. Um, as you can see, I got on the Hype for Mental Health shirt. Um, like I, I needed a break. So that was that was a life-changing event for me and which led me to this lifestyle that I got now. Um, I just kind of stumbled upon it. If you didn't know about me before I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I hadn't hiked or camped a day in my life. Um, and, you know, it was just a, a thing that I got into just off of a, 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 a Facebook poll. It was like a, a blessing to me to, to get outside. So the, the things that I always get though, when, um, I am going outside and I come back home and I tell my people these stories about me going these places. I always get like, what about snakes, bears, races? Um, that's the main thing. So I'll be talking today about little trail fears um, and why owls almost ruined my whole entire Appalachian Trail hike. Um, owls, man, terrorize me like, I'll get to them in a minute, but I got to do a little backstory. Like me starting the AT and me doing any kind of trip that I get out into, I always look up what's, what can eat me and what can harm me uh, when it comes to any type of animal. Like, you know, I got I to gotta figure out what, what's happening. I know over here we got bears, we got rattlesnakes. You know, I know when I go out west, I got to worry about mountain lions. When I went to Spain, I had to look up and I, I seen they had packs of wolves in the area that I was going to be in. So I had to worry about that. Um, just take precautions. Um, you know what I mean? So we all got our best stories and stuff like that, too. But just me going through and learning on the AT, man, you're going to run into these things like every day. So you better kind of get used to them. Um, so I ran into like probably 30 or 40 black snakes upon the first couple weeks and then I was like I right, uh, I know they ain't really trying to get to me so I'll be okay I didn't run into rattlesnakes until maybe Virginia that was a totally different experience um, trying to just figure out man like you walking on the trail and one is like right there by beside your leg two or three feet away and it's already rattling by the time you get up on it that's, that's not a real good feeling then I jumped back I'm trying to shoo it away. I'm trying to film it for my YouTube channel at the same time. I'm shaking everything, you know what I'm saying? And I'm trying to make sure if it do try to get a little close to me, and I know it's not, man, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a wild feeling. Then, you know, I run into my homeboy up there on uh, Wind Rock in Virginia, and he's taunting three of them, poking them, and he's trying to get close-up camera angles. His name was B-Roll, and, you know, so uh, just that type of thing. So running the rattlesnakes. Um, then running into bears, uh, you know, the other thing people ask me about uh, just because every one of the, the folks that I was hiking with was telling me, oh, man, if you just stand up, make yourself big, they'll run away. They just like little dogs. They just like dogs, this, that, and the third, right? I'm like, okay, cool, you know, cool. I ain't seen one yet. I'm like, okay, whatever. I get, I try to do the same thing they tell me to do. One bear stood up on me, looked at me like, and he's just like, I'm, he starts sniffing the air, and I'm like, well, they ain't tell me what to do in this situation, you know what I mean? So I don't know where to turn and I don't know what to do now. So I'm just like, okay. So it finally backed up and, and, and kept moving. You know, I took off running down the trail or whatever once I got around the corner. But I'm like, once I seen the rest of the people that told me all that good advice, I'm like, y'all lied to me. Y'all didn't tell me what to do in the event of 
what if the stand up starts sniffing you? And I think it was looking at me like, it looked like I was one, I might've been one of his like lost, long lost brothers or something like a, you know, emaciated uh, version or something. Hey bro, you, you good? You, you eating your berries? You juices and berries? Um, what's happening with you? So I don't know what's happening, but I don't know. So bears, yeah, I got used to them. Um, I remember running to one in, in Shenandoah Valley. They told me Shenandoah got the most highly populated, uh, you know, bear population besides probably the Smokies on the, uh, the whole Appalachian Trail. Here I am outside my tent, I mean, in my tent, <clears throat> breaking all the roofs. 10 o'clock at night, well, probably maybe 8 o'clock at night, hike or midnight, something like that. Um, I'm in my tent making a burrito with ramen and Cool Ranch Doritos. I'm in there just crunching, crunching having a good old time, watching the movie I done downloaded when I was in town or whatever. And uh, next thing I know, I can just hear something walking down through the bushes. All right, boy, that don't sound like no deer. You know, deer ain't that heavy, boy. That thing kind of crashing a little bit. That thing, that thing sound a little heavy. It's getting closer and closer and closer. Here I am, I'm still eating a damn burrito like a fool. Yeah, still eating. Everybody else sleep. Then the whole camp, you know, we kept, we kept up on the hill or uh, whatnot. Man, that thing got down to my tent, I could just hear breathing. Just real, real close. I'm starting yelling, screaming, like, man, I'm screaming, crying. Hey, get the hell away from my tent. My people, they wake up that I'm careful that I was uh, hiking with. They wake up, hey, what's wrong? There's a damn big bear right here next to my tent. I'm screaming, crying. You know, they walk back off, they walk back up the hill and everything. But yeah, that's my experience with, with bears on the AT. Um, I had some hair experience, I guess, with moose uh, on the AT, just running up on them things in the backwoods because they'll they run up on you and they kick. But the thing that ruined my life on the AT had to be the aisle. People say, why the aisle? I think just because it, it's simple, man. And every, if you look it up, every, every culture almost, except for the Peruvians, because they eat them, the, the aisle is like the harbinger of death. It's an omen. And a lot of, like, native cultures, it's the omen of death. And, and like, a lot of, like, West African cultures, it's, it's an omen of death. Like, you sit outside your house, you know, it's a southern thing. It's an omen of death. So I always think, but I've been fascinated. I'm fascinated by birds of prey, so I know a lot about owls and everything. I know, I just I just read something the other day. I, I heard they can sit crisscross applesauce. If that don't tell you right, there's something wrong with their ass. You shouldn't be scared of them, then I don't know what what are we talking about here. You ever seen a bird sit crisscross applesauce? So that right there tell you something wrong with them. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's it's a lot that's wrong with eyes. You should, you should you should be very afraid, very afraid, right? So I get on trail about 30 miles in, right past Neil Gap on trail, where everybody like kind of tossed their shoes up and quit on trails, like the first road where, where a lot of people quit, like. 20 or 30% of the people that try to hike the Appalachian Trail quit, throw their shoes up on the thing like the power lines and be out, call a ride and be <laughs> gone. So I was up there um, a couple miles past that camping. I perched right above my tent, man, and just started doing this thing. Man, I'm terrified. I had service. I posted about it. People started sending me pictures of owls. I'm blocking left and right. As soon as you send me a picture, I'm blocking you. Oh, I don't need this type of energy in my life. No, no, I just told you this, this is frightening. Why would you send me a picture? <laughs> so this was the first instance of ours. I think this was my second or third. My, this is like my third day. 
and it seemed like from then on they kind of followed me. People started putting me an animation, send me an animation of me in a Harry Potter suit with the owl on my shoulder, black latching graphic, everything. It became a thing. And then they just started following me all up the trail. I can remember meeting two of my uh, my good friends that I hiked with um, for miles on the trail, Stormy and Solo Song. Solo Song has a podcast, Trust the Trail podcast, I think. And her and her husband are doing like a Airstream conversion or something like that, Living in Lucy. Check them out if you can find it. Uh, I forget the name of the page. But anyways, I uh, met them one night. Sleeping in the tent, I guess about two, three in the morning. Dog went out, got up above my tent, started doing that thing. I just, by then, I was tired of it. I was tired. I done hiked about 20 miles that day, 15, 20 miles that day, up this long, up, uh, leaving up out the NOC, this long hike up out the NOC, and it's straight up. And I was passing people on the side, and they was like, leaned over like they was just out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, just leave me, brother, leave me, brother. I ain't gonna make it. You know what I'm saying? So I was seeing people like that. That was a long climb, a hot day, boy. So doing that all day and uh, getting up there, I was just, I was too tired. So that I got to doing that thing like two, three in the morning. I just start cussing them out, going at, shut the, shut the fuck. You know, I, I just really started going crazy on the aisle. And they were camped like a little bit down the hill from me. So the next morning they woke up and I was having my coffee and stuff. They was like, well, you really didn't like that aisle, huh? And uh, we laughed, and I think we might have smoked the joint. And, uh, yeah, we became trail partners, you know what I'm saying, from then on. So, yeah, that was that was a good thing. But Al, man, terrorized my life. There's been one perched outside my window periodically here and there, and I tried to accept it. Also, my brother called me while I was on trail one night. Uh, no, I think it was like, yeah, like might have been in the nighttime. And he called me one night. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, that means the aliens visited. I'm like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> so now you add another layer to my fear. Now, now you tell me this is this aliens is coming to visit, and oh, that mean they coming to abduct you, and all that. Oh, that mean they be abducting you, and I'm like, what? Wait, wait, hold, 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 hold. So now it's, it's just a lot of information we process. So me and Alf really don't get along, but at this point, I've tried to come to accept them, just for the simple fact that. I'm out there with them. So every time I'm out there with them, I'm just like, all right, man, come get me, bring, bring it on, man. If y'all coming to reduct me, man, give me some superpowers, man, and hook me up with some stuff. I don't know what y'all got up in this spaceship. I don't know what's happening out there, but come on with it. So, I mean, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's what we worry about uh, on, on uh trail, man. So that's my trail story. Ouch. I am so happy I was on mute because not only was I cackling, but Brie, who you met semi-recently, is also like upstairs cackling along with your what story up, too. <laughs> <laughs> That was so great. Thank you so much. No, no. Thank you for having me, man, for sure. Oh my gosh, of course. And I need a little clarity on like from way back in the beginning of your story when you said you were making a burrito with ramen and, and Doritos were those things like on the side of the burrito or were they in the burrito oh no uh, on trail everybody that hiked the, in the long trail that is the burrito okay so the, the tortilla 
Yeah, you put the ramen. Yeah, crunch the crunch the Doritos <laughs> up in there. Put you some cheese up in there. You know what I mean? And then uh, you make it work. If you got you some type of sauce, oh, man, because my homegirl Hannah, uh, going Hananas, man, she carries some sriracha. Oh, yeah. Let's go. We in the game. Mm-hmm. What kind of cheese are you hiking with? Oh, cheese will keep a block of cheese, especially, uh, I ain't going to give no names because they ain't sponsoring me and they ain't paying me. But a uh, block of cheese in right temperature will keep a couple days. You know what I mean? You just gotta eat fast. It'll get it'll get greasy a little bit, but hey, man, you just gotta do your thing. When you on trail, you do a lot of different things that you know that's not probably acceptable here. <laughs> <It's sorry. laughs> you know what I mean, you know, so yeah, it could it could get like that. I love it. Um, we got a question here from Elsie Brown. Uh, Daniel, can you talk about the importance of reframing historical black figures in an environmental context? There's a dominating narrative that black folks don't camp, don't hike, et cetera. But we've been out here paving the way as naturalists. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when you got to look at the, the Buffalo Soldiers, uh, they definitely had a, like a, a, a ride from, I think from Seattle to uh, Missoula, Montana, somewhere around there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on that because I'm not totally sure. But I think they did. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to look at people like, uh, his, his name slips my mind right now. Uh, he went with Lewis and Clark. Uh, I got a picture of him. I took a picture of him and I, I, I did a couple posts about him. Um, black guy that had went with Lewis and Clark West. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of people. We've been out here definitely. Um, and the stories definitely kind of get overlooked, park rangers and stuff like that. Um, I think it's on us to spread and share them stories all of the outdoor community as far as a whole. So um, I think that's, that's, that's I, I try to do my part as far as that, um, as far as just sharing those stories and, and even going back to as far as like the Moorish empires and just through history and everything like that and try to get everybody to just do. So I definitely, I try to, I, I try to do my part. I think it's definitely an important thing to do um, for people to know uh, that, yeah, black people have been out here and, you know, some of us are indigenous too, you know, because if you can't trace your, your heritage all the way back to Africa and this and that, then you might just want to say you are indigenous. So, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying all of that. I, I know who you're talking about. I'm also blanking on the name, but for everybody listening, we are, I'll include that information about the, the guy who went with uh, Lewis and Clark. I'll include that in our show notes. So, and uh, so that we can all, you know, actually revere and know this kind of history, which is so important in our like wildly whitewashed outdoor narrative that continues to this day, as we all know. Um, Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today. This was really, really fun. Oh, no problem, man. I appreciate you having me anytime, anytime. I mean, I definitely want to have you as a guest in the future for sure you know you know anytime anything for you jenny man you a real one like i really do appreciate you to be in this outdoor world you you are a real one like i appreciate the energy like you can feel is real you know and, Thank you and that's, so much. that's that's um that's rare in this outdoor thing that we that we are in you know so i appreciate I know it. it all right thank you so much take care love
Okay, everyone, we have reached the end of our show. Was this not so special? Like, oh, my, I just feel so excited. I mean, I love every episode, but this is definitely one of those times where I feel very like, just so excited about the people who I have had the chance to meet and come across uh, even digitally uh, or virtually because of doing Unlikely Hikers. And I've had the pleasure of meeting everybody in this episode in some context or another. And it's just, it's just so exciting. So thank you all for being here and witnessing this. Uh, Like I kind of mentioned a moment ago, all of our, anything that was mentioned about like names and places, details, things like that will be in our show notes. Uh, And you can find those on Thursday when our recorded episode is uploaded to wherever you get your podcasts. So you can stream those and the back ones if you want to. And you can also find us on YouTube with uh, closed captions if you need them. I'm going to save my donation talk again today, even though obviously we all deserve to be paid for our work and things like that. But I, if you feel inclined to donate, Uh, and you've got the funds to spare, I really want to encourage you to donate to the Navajo Nation, which, as we talked about last week, is suffering the third highest COVID-19 infection rate in the U.S. And uh, you can find that info right now on the last episode show notes, but I'll, I'll I'll include it with our, with this episode, of course, too. And you know, just going to be bold. Like if you don't need your stimulus check, like right now, you know, like the future is uncertain. Um, But you can think about right now, if you don't need your stimulus check, or if you don't need all of it, I really want to urge you to donate part of it, all of it. Um, I know that it's, it's always easy to think about like what you might want to do in the future, what you might need in the future, but that shit's uncertain. People need help now. So if you have the ability, I I really recommend it. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.